Hello, friends, and welcome to To The Point, the home services podcast that focuses on marketing and operational solutions to help you get better. Because if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Now, let's cut through the bullshit and get to the point. What is up, everyone? We are super excited for To The Point. Today is episode numero uno. Number one. I am your host, Chris Yano, CEO of Rhino Strategic Solutions, but I also have a co-host, and ironically, I'm also interviewing him today, and that is Tall Paul. Thank you, Chris. And Tall Paul is the vice president of sales at Rhino Strategic Solutions, and uh, and you'll be kicking this off, my friend. And I'm excited about that. However, I full disclosure, I thought I was interviewing you today, so you flipped the script on me. And I'm a little uneasy about it. Well, but like I said, you just came up with that in your head. That was never part of the plan, <laughs> but you tried to make it part of the plan. It's being a true salesman, I appreciate that. Nope, all good, man. I'm on. I'm on board. Well, I'll listen. I'm super stoked to uh, dig into about your background because this is an HVAC, plumbing, electrical, home services podcast, and you have a pretty extensive history, especially in the HVAC trades. Um, you've got a lot of knowledge to share too. Um, from being a territory manager into a district manager. So you've done, had a lot of management with teams. You've been around the trades. You understand the negotiations that go back and forth. So um, you've been on the marketing side. So there's a lot of value that you have and that you, that you can share with everyone that's going to be helpful. And I'm excited to dig into it. I know a lot about it because I know you and you're a VP of sales. But we're going to dig into it and let our listeners know some of the behind-the-scenes things that they can do to help them with different negotiations, but also kind of what you've learned along the way and some of the things that you've done in the past that you apply that have worked for you. So um, what I want to do right out of the gate is just let you share a little bit of your background, your history, and, and I always like to know how you got into trades because, like, for me, I had zero interest in getting into the trades. I just kind of got sucked into it, and here I am, you know, 12 years later, still in it but just with the marketing role. So dude, share with us, like what, how did tall Paul get into the trades? Like, give me a little bit of your history, man. Yeah. So that was the first question I was going to ask you. <laughs> so I'm prepared for it. So it actually started when I was a little kid. I was in my mother's crown Victoria, I 70 in Ohio. I grew up in Ohio, born in Michigan, the raised beast in Ohio. of a car. Oh, beast of a car. Yeah. Head on the side of the, the window and I'm looking at the guardrails. All right. And I'm watching the guardrails go by. And I thought to myself at that moment, like, man, somebody is really, somebody's in the guardrail business. Somebody's really, really rich because of guardrails, right? It has nothing to do with trades, <laughs> but it opened up my mind to the possibility like that there's industries out there that aren't being like, um, you know, promoted to me as a, as a high school student and as a college student, like no one ever mentioned HVAC at my liberal arts college right, as right. a career me path, right? Me so, um, so I was always open to understanding that like to have an open eye toward like the world that was going on around you and not just what was being told to you. Okay. So I think I, you were way ahead of a lot of kids and I was, <laughs> that's the case. I was six months old right? yeah, right. and I wrote okay. it out. Sure. So, um, fast forward, I'm, uh, I guess two or three years out of college living in an apartment with my wife and now a newborn, I'm working a job. I'm making like $25,000 a year, which at that time, and even at this time is like not a lot of money. So were you in Ohio at this point? I was. Listen, $25,000 in Ohio is like. I was, the, I was LeBron James. You were basically. living large, <laughs> man. <was> LeBron. <laughs> that's not Easy, man. You take it from Indiana. You're going to talk about Well, that's Ohio. why I'm saying I can relate. But okay. I'm sorry. Carry I can on. relate. Yeah. Carry so on. I should have retired right there. <laughs> but anyways, um, my wife and I have always had this kind of adventurous like spirit or like longing for something else. So or, or someplace else. Like we're, we're constantly like, man, we should be doing things different. 
So we're in Ohio and we're like, let's move to Colorado. Let's just, let's pack up, just leave the family behind, which leave my, you know, extended family, which sure. was sad and mm-hmm. still sorting through that. But um, let's go start our own life somewhere. So, so had you been to Colorado before? Never. So you're just like, that Never. looks good. On- looked awesome. Okay. Google. Yeah, you Google pictures of Denver, and it looks awesome. This is before marijuana was legal. I'm so just, glad your decision-making has changed over the years. It has become a lot more thoughtful. So um, so that, like, I do what I do. I made a list, like, what do I need to do to move to Colorado? The first thing I need to learn is, like, where to live. So I started just talking to people, like, hey, we're thinking about moving to Colorado. And so I met a neighbor who had just been to her high school reunion, and she said, hey, I ran into this guy from Colorado, and he, um, he knows the area really well. He's passionate about it. And he's coming here in a couple of weeks for a wedding or whatever. So I reached out to him, just cold call, out of the blue, like, hey, I'm Paul. I know your neighbor. She lives in an apartment a couple doors down. And here you're coming to town. Here you know about Colorado. Like, I'd love to meet you for dinner. And, like, at this age in my life, in this stage of my life, I wasn't a, like, hey, let's meet for dinner kind of guy. Like, this was this was out there. So I tell Corey, like, hey, we're going to go meet this random stranger who knows about Colorado at this Mexican restaurant around from our house. And I hope he picks up the bill because I probably had like 60 bucks to my name at the time. <laughs> and he did gratefully. Because uh, $25,000 isn't living large in Colorado. <laughs> it's not. Colorado. So, um, so we go to dinner and we actually invite, and we like out of nowhere, I'm saying, hey, you could stay at our place. And we lived in this like little tiny apartment or whatever. So he crashed at our place. And um, long story short, like we stayed in touch for the next couple of weeks. And then one day he calls me out of the blue and I had known that he had owned an air conditioning company. Um, but he called me and he said, I just had a light bulb. You remind me of someone who works at this company and that the company was Lennox and you would be a great fit. There's an opening there. And so I'm like, all right, well, let's give it a shot. So um, I flew out to uh, Salt so who's Lake the at guy? the time. Uh, so Tim Parkey, who's one of our clients. Oh, Tim. Yeah, okay. Parkey's. So yeah. now I just connected the dots on that. Thank yeah. You. So like, okay. th- and it just like that moment sticks with me because like it was just, he, he never had to pick up that phone call and say like, you know what? You ought to give this a shot. So like those little micro moments where you can like encourage someone like, like, Hey Kyle, you should do this, you know? And, and that can change the course of somebody's life. Yep. Sure. And so I didn't anticipate, like it it was a lot of them. It was a big move. We, we packed up from Ohio, moved like the day after Christmas to start like January 1st or whatever it was, January 2nd. And um, I didn't anticipate like the journey that I've been on now that's taken me all over the country to Phoenix of all places. And I also didn't know at the time that I was signing up for the trades, but I made a decision like early into that job, I realized just talking to the clients and talking to the customers, like you have to be all in, like you have to be all in, you have to be open to learning. You have to be open to years and years and years of grinding it out and understanding like what it takes to find a spot in this business. Um, Because a lot of people come and go, a lot of people don't make it. Not a lot of people have a lot of interest, at least at where I was in my part of, part of my life. So, um, anyways, yeah, that's how I got in. So, so what year was that that you started? So you, so you moved out to Colorado to Denver specifically, right? Yeah. And then you started that January second. What year was that you started? Uh, Two thousand eight. Okay, so so your trade world started in 08. Yeah. So twelve years twelve years ago now. Yeah. So we're in twenty twenty. And and let me be clear, like I had no mechanical background at all. Like I couldn't list things I had tinkered with. I just didn't work with my hands. Like I I, um, I had a twin brother growing up and before our dad passed away, um, my brother always hung out with my dad and I always kinda hung out with my mom. And that wasn't by design. It was more like just divide and conquer because there was a lot of kids. And so my brother would do really mechanical things and I just wouldn't. Like I got into sports and then like if it didn't bounce or go in a hoop, like 
I really had no use for it. So that's because you're like six foot eight. So <laughs> right. So basketball yeah. was probably a natural for Ex- you. Exactly. So so that just consumed my entire life. And then I, um, you know, sports and education, and just never like even till this day, I'm not very mechanical. So that was a challenge because on my first day on the job, like I was looking at these. So I worked for Lennox, and I'm a territory manager for all of you know the southern and western Colorado. And my clients were all experts. I mean, they've been doing this stuff since they were kids, right? And I had not even a um, relative understanding of, like, how the components worked, like, nothing. So I had to completely humble myself. And I remember, like, that was a big, like, I never pretended to know more than I did, and I still don't. Um, but I remember asking customers, like, uh, like weighing it out, like, okay, I might embarrass myself here, but could you tell me exactly how an air conditioner works? And to my surprise, man, they were all so gracious. Like, I remember one customer taking the, the, um, a menu for, at a restaurant and just drawing the components out and, like, drawing lines and drawing arrows with, with refrigerant. And so I still, to this day, like, I'm super grateful for that. Well, same. I didn't know anything either coming into it, and I really had to drink from a fire hose for years to even really start to understand, like, to understand what it actually meant to them and then to their customers. Mm-hmm. Um, so you and I got to know each other because um, at one point you went from territory manager for Lennox Industries to a district manager. And then you took that district management role and managed a team of people in Charlotte, yeah. which is actually where we've met because uh, by the grace of God, our paths actually had crossed before, but brought us back together. And you partnered with our internet marketing company. It's for the trades. And you brought us in. To help yeah. us gain share and to grow the brand in your district. And um, and that was a huge blessing. But in that process is when you and I finally got to actually meet and click. And I got to learn about you and what your values are and your values matched our values. And we clearly wanted to to grow each other's companies. And we did just that. And so um, part of what really drew me to you was how genuine you were and your honesty. And like you just said, like you didn't fake it. Like you weren't we weren't faking the funk on not knowing what an air conditioner, how it worked. And so you asked, and I think that that's a, a really solid quality. One we're going to talk about is being honest. Like, yeah. I think if you, if you just, and, and let's be honest, like there's a lot of sales guys that aren't honest. So I think that you find if you are honest, it does far more good than trying to fake it and then getting caught on it. So we've kind of, that's one of our values here. Same thing. So I, I love that about you. I respect that about you. And you were that way with me. Like you didn't fake, like you knew things that you didn't know. And, and neither did I. So we connected on that level. So uh, that's actually going to take me into um, the next question I have for you, which is your core values. And um, knowing that that was one of them is how did you take those things and apply them into um, your world, your business world in the trades that had gotten you to become a district manager? Because of all the territory managers, and there was hundreds of them, you know, there's only a handful that become district managers that have earned their way to that district management position and, and can run them successfully and be award winners like you have been. So what are some of the core values that you that you implemented, that, that you have in your life that you then implemented into your business to help you succeed in the trades? So it's funny you ask that because there was a stop along the way between, um, you know, being a territory manager, so an outside sales guy, to, you know, field management. And that meant that I spent two years in our corporate office of the company. So I was living in Colorado and had to move again, this time to Plano, Texas, Richardson, Texas, or whatever. 
And so we lived there for, for two you, years. So, so you had to move and work from Lenox headquarters. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, gotcha. and that was a huge risk for us because we loved Colorado and we still like to this day, there's loss because we, we miss living there. We miss our family or friends that, that all, all of that, that's another podcast. But, um, that two year period of time was the most formative years of my professional life because my job for two years was literally to learn. Like it was like being in school for two years. So what they did was they would partner, not partner you, you worked for an executive in the company. And at the time I was working for who's now the VP GM of Lennox. And at the time he was relatively new to the company and super bright guy who had a lot of like a lot of different initiatives going on. And he gave me three or four different like objectives and then the other, the biggest part of it was just to learn and be developed and be coached by other executives. So I came from a world where I was, you know, out in the field, kind of doing my own thing and kind of accountable to myself and my clients to a world where I was in, I was accountable to a lot of other people. Um, but the trade-off to that was all they were doing was, you know, pouring into me and developing and coaching. So during that two year period of time, I just observed the leaders. That was my job was just to observe leaders. And of course there were some things, you know, there was a lot of preparation and a lot of work that goes into things, but you're very like, you're working with what they call across the business. So you've got a, you know, multi-billion dollar corporation with all these different elements that are required in these different departments to make it work, to make it successful. And you're kind of working alongside it. So, so I learned a ton there and um, that was, probably what formed a lot of my different work values today. So smartac.com, smartac.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. Smartac.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Okay. So, and that was, so you moved, when, when was that that you moved to Dallas and spent your two years here? So, there, so I can get the timeline straight. 13 to 15. Okay. So 2013 to 2015. And then you went. That's and then after that's when you moved out to Charlotte. Yep. So okay. we've been in Charlotte now for five years. Okay. So um, which is where you yeah you guys still live today in Davidson. Yep. Ish. Good job. Davidson, Steph which Curry. is where our other Rhino offices. It is. So okay, great. <clears throat> Who has a a uh, what's the machine that you love so much? It's not the coffee one. What's the other one that you like? Espresso. Machine? Espresso. That's it. Dang it. Yeah. Stuff tastes like shit. I hate it. It's terrible. But you like Dude, it. We're gonna disagree on that. You like it. Yeah. That's okay. I won't hold that against you. <laughs> um, so the next question I had um, is kind of along this honesty is, is the best policy thing. Um, and I really want to hit on it too, because uh, part of our DNA at Rhino and our core values is transparency. And it's been that way since day one is um, no matter what, we're going to talk about facts, mm -hmm. good, bad, or indifferent. We're going to talk about facts. So if somebody is paying us to do pay-per-click, SEO, social, whatever it is, the real thing they want from us is to bring in new customers. Yeah. And I take that super personal because they're writing me a check or writing us a check and expecting us to bring in new customers, just like we say. So because there's a lot of shady people in our industry and, and really in the trades too, like all of us kind of have shady, you know, shady, there's shady practices out there that aren't honest. I felt like, Hey, the one way we can be certain that we're honest is to track everything. And that was one of our core pillars as we've built this company over the last you know, decade plus 
was paying close attention to what am I doing to bring in new customers? How much does it cost me to bring in a new customer? If I have a company that does heating and air conditioning and plumbing and electrical and they want to grow their residential add-on replacement and service business on the HVAC side, they want to grow their drain cleaning business on the plumbing side, the electrical business. I had to learn how to effectively do that and try to get as much as I possibly can for the least amount of money. That thing rang clear since day one is everybody wants the most amount of leads for the least amount of money. In order to do that, you got to pay close attention to numbers, which is great because we did that from the start on and then shared that with our customers every single month. So we're always talking about facts. So we might have a solid uh, 12-month partnership and two of those months sucked. Yeah, right. But you know what? Like the honesty and the trust is there in our relationship to know like we you didn't hit out of the park every single month. It's going to happen. The digital world is moving quickly. Yeah. So, but that's again, one of the values that I liked about you was you being honest. And so I like to ask this question just because it kind of puts you in a little bit of a hot seat. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's a sucky situation to be in. And I've been in it multiple times where you just got to be honest, knowing the outcome is going to suck. Like in that moment, the outcome is going to suck. But if you look at the long term and doing what's right, it generally plays itself out in, in a good in a good spot. So with you, I would say, what was a time when you knew, and you probably, you probably got multiple areas where you had to do this, especially if like they, you were a TM and they were short on equipment or whatever it is and you, you couldn't get it to them or they wanted the right you know pricing or whatever it is. But what was a good time when you knew like, hey, I have got to be honest, it's going to suck and it did suck in that moment but it actually ended up working itself out in the end. Sorry yeah. to put you on the spot, no. man. You probably got a few of those you got you got to dig through, but yeah. I love stories like this because it shows you you did what was right. It sucked in the moment and that's how life is. Like yeah. sometimes things suck in the moment, but it's for the better in the end. What do you got for me, man? What do you got? So, that is tough and I've had to do that a ton of times. And, and earlier you had mentioned something about like, you know, the ethic of honesty. And honesty is hard sometimes because delivering bad news is hard. Like that's half the challenge with like miscommunication is people don't like to deliver bad news. Yeah. And I've had to practice Confrontation that, can be difficult. For I sure. have literally, I kid you not, stood in front of mirrors before and said, you are not performing up to the standard of your job or it's time that we should part ways. Like I've had to practice those words coming out of my mouth because my natural aversion is to like, I want to encourage someone. Like the first time I ever had to fire somebody, um, they had to have left so confused because- I fired them and told them a hundred reasons why they were wonderful. Right. <laughs> and that like on one hand, like, okay, that might've been the right thing to do. But on the other hand, like I missed an opportunity there for someone to really understand, like I've been fired before and they were very, very clear with me. Right. <laughs> on I was 21 was. years old. They were very, very clear. And like when I put my shoes on every single day, I can still hear those words. And it's a lot of what drives me. Um, but being honest can be hard because it's tough, man. It's tough to give people bad news. Um, but kind of like what we talk about here, like running toward the fire, you have to understand like, what's the worst that can happen? Like giving someone bad news, like doesn't like, no one's going to get hurt. No one's going to, uh, um, someone might be upset because they're whatever their, uh, whatever metric we had in place for them that particular month we didn't hit. Um, but that's a trust thing, man. You start to build that trust over time. And then, and then that's what his care, I know carried us forward with a lot of, you know, in tough situations. So one thing I'm going to do is bring you back to the question. So, um, which all your, everything you said makes perfect sense. Like firing anybody never feels good. Yeah. Like if you have any empathy whatsoever, you feel for them. Right. But there's also value in telling them what was wrong so they can fix it in the long run. So I don't know if, if you were going with that on, that was the changes you can, but you're giving these guys all the things that they did. Right. What I was saying too, is if you're, if you had to have that honest conversation with them, like what was an op what was a, a point when you did that and then you found out in the end, like, hey, it was worth it. It could be something as simple as like, 
you said like in, in the beginning, Hey man, I don't know shit about air conditioners and how to work on them. Can you show me? And then because that person respected that you're honest with them, I think naturally people do want to be helpful and help you. Yeah. Maybe they helped you. And then in the end, you had a better understanding on how to work on air conditioners so you could then connect with your customers better. Like I'm talking an example kind of like that. Maybe I answered it for you, dude. On yeah, that no, end, that, that's a good one. No, I, I think about it now and I'm learning this at Rhino. So when I came to Rhino, like, and I'm talking to clients and doing consulting, like I have a hard time telling them that like their idea of how the world works and how this is supposed to work and how they're going to grow their business is not going to work. Like I, I would tell them like, oh yeah, that's a pretty good strategy. Yeah. The, oh yeah. Yeah. And then you could compliment with that, with that with this or that with that. When really I'm learning that you need to stop them and say, no. And we deal with hundreds of people every single week with these things. And we've never seen that work and it's not going to work. And you have a problem because you are trying to take a minimum mindset to the internet when you can't take that mindset. You're trying to do the you know, least amount possible. And that's the wrong mind. What, can, uh, what I hear every single day in talking to clients is, hey, what's the, what's the minimum I can get away with and you know, still do all my other things that I do and be successful and check this box? And that's just not how it works. It's 2020. Okay. That's how it works. <laughs> so actually this leads into the next question because I think part of um, what makes this next section so valuable uh, for you specifically when you came in and you're kind of able to come in and just start running because learning the internet marketing side of business is extremely difficult and it's always changing. And so that's why we have, you know, a team here of people that are constantly chasing on getting better and we give them education uh, budgets they got to spend, they got to educate themselves every month and make sure that they're better for our customers. Because we track so transparently, we want to make sure everybody's better, yourself included. Mm -hmm. The good news about you is because you came from the trades and you asked those questions like you did early on, like, hey man, how do I work on an air conditioner? And you just started to learn things and understand it. You came into this with knowing exactly what you're being asked from different contractors, but also what they need and where they've been, like the support they've had in the past and having kind of conversations about what works and what doesn't work. Now, fast forward, you roll into Rhino, which was in 2017? 18. 18. 18. 2018. Um, we started working together at 2016, yes. late 16, yep. 17. So, um, but we use metrics to track everything, metrics to track everything here. So one of my questions here is, because it's an absolute necessity in this company to track everything so that way we can give our customers the clearest data so they know exactly what they get in return every single month, how, how or why or what are some metrics that you use to effectively manage your team? So when you're district manager, you had how many territory managers underneath you? Eight. So, and then you have obviously have a team here as well that you're managing, but um, is there anything in, in particular that you use to effectively manage a team of people, whether it be a person or it's a team of 50? Because, you know, um, a lot of the folks that list that, that listen to these podcasts, you know, are, might be a, a you know, one truck Chuck person who's managing nobody except sure. themselves. And, and even that's crazy because you need people to do your books and to do your, you know, run your calls and you don't have any marketing, it's a referral. But when you start to have to manage people, what are some like key things that you can do or the metrics that you have used that have made you successful at it? Because you've been phenomenal at it. Um, otherwise, you wouldn't have been in the position you're in at, at Linux. And you've done a, a killer job here at Rhino with our team and growing it and building it and managing them. What are some of those metrics and tools that you're using that have made it effective? So the thing that makes this challenging is everybody's different dependent upon where they're at and their stages of professional development. 
However, one thing all salespeople have in common, or and this could apply to technicians, and this could apply to really anybody that's working for you who needs to achieve some sort of like measurable outcome or performance, like everyone wants to communicate in the macro. So to give you an, exa- uh, an example, like we could ask a sales guy here, hey, how's it going? Oh, you know, I'm just following up with people this week and I got some calls coming up and I'm checking in with so-and-so. Very, very macro, like I'm moving toward where you want me to go. But if you boil it down to the micro, like in my case, in my old job, it's how many people are you having conversations with today? How many people are you, you know, establishing a line of credit for today? How many people do we not do business with or that you didn't talk to last week? Are you going to go visit this week? And no one want, no, I can say no one, very few salespeople want to be managed on the micro. Like anytime a new sales manager comes into a place, they're, the biggest fear of the salespeople is what? They'll be micromanaged, right? That's essentially what they're yeah, telling Because you. sales is like money and freedom. Right. Like they want to be able to make a lot of money, but they also want to have freedom and they hate to be micromanaged. Most really right. just like being micro, micromanaged. Yeah, spot yeah, on. But there comes to a point where those behaviors, you have to know that those behaviors and those reps are occurring. Those things are happening because that w- that's a, a an indicator that the you know that you're moving toward where you need to go. So sure. so depending upon some, where someone is in their development, you know you need to be a little more involved in making sure that they're doing the things that make people successful. Because they're and there's arguments about whether sales or business is art and science. I believe it's a little bit of both, but I believe you, the science part is very controllable. Like being likable is something that is harder to um, to influence than being timely and being responsive and being present and being thorough, like those things you can control. So um, yeah, the micro behaviors, it's all about you know measuring and understanding. And this is no different than our contractors. Like they have to know just as they relate to us, like they have to know exactly how many phone calls are coming in. How many of those phone calls did their people book? How many of those bookings turned into revenue? What type of revenue did it turn into? Then take it back. Where did that revenue come from? What campaign did it come from? What city did it come from? And no one's willing to do that work. Right. And, and that's what's interesting, I think, about we do what we do is most of what we do, someone could do on their own. No one's going to do it. No one's going to put the work in. It's that little extra behavior that makes it uh, so much more valuable. Yeah, because um, if they're a contractor, they're trying to run their contracting business. So right. like what, you know, no different than here. We try to find the smartest people that know it better than myself and or know it better than you. And we put the smartest people in the seats because we believe they're going to do the best job for our customers. So that is the, the metric that we're using is, hey, man, let's find people much smarter than me, which doesn't, you know, it doesn't take a lot. I know what I'm good at. I know what I suck at. And yeah. you hire for the spots that you suck at. And so anybody who's just coming up and has to manage people, if you bring on one person, it seems like I remember when I made my first hire thinking, holy shit, like I have an employee. I have somebody whose livelihood I'm responsible for. Because I looked at it the opposite always of when I onboard a customer or we onboard a customer here at Rhino, I take it, I take it personal. Because they're giving me money. If I don't give them a return, then I could be impacting their livelihood and their families and their employees and their ability to grow and their fa- and their employees' ability to grow. And I take that personal. So I've always done that since the beginning on, hey, man, I need to make sure I maintain this as a metric for myself to use is how are we legit doing? What's the average cost per lead every month? And when I talk about leads, I think the thing that, um, and I won't get too deep into it, but one of the metrics that I did right from the beginning was all these marketing companies used to say to me like, Hey, I got a lead. You know, I, I got, I got my customer 582 new leads. And I would, if I listened to those same 582 phone calls and I started to scrub it on what was a repeat and referral customer and actually got down to what was a legit new customer, it might end up somewhere. Let's just say if I'm being generous in the hundreds. Yeah. Okay. But it's a metric that's being 
honest, like let's scrub it because they're not paying me to bring in existing customers and right. referral business. They've done that on their own by maintaining their brand, their customer service, things like that. And no one's comfortable standing in front of that number. And well, that's what makes the difference. It's the difference because it's being transparent. It's being yep. honest and being real. But now we can grow together based on real numbers in real time. So it's a metric that I've always used. And I know that, that you had some similar things in place, which is why I was asking you that question. I know you like, you love ha us having that tool because yeah. then we're tracking to real numbers. So um, I want to take this next question, help some of the contractors listening to um, try and give them a little negotiating power. And I know you're going to have to toe the line on this a little bit. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to be pretty transparent. Okay, great. Cause uh, I think that what I would love for them to walk away with is What's some really good, and, and some people might already know this, but there's a lot that might not. Yeah. I want them to take away two or three really good negotiating points with any manufacturer that they're using, or let's say like parts companies. So like, let's see if we can't, and you know, because you had them do this to you as a district manager, totally. like what are the things these guys would always come at me with? And I would either have to approve it, not approve it, figure out how to go down to get this thing done. So let's give them a little insight on what can they do to make their business better, what negotiating points do they have or can they use to make their business better, whether it be a savings and ask, what is it, man? Like, let's give us the good stuff so these guys can walk away and be like, oh, yeah, here we go. So I'm going to take this to my guy, and then they're going to be like, damn you, Paul. <laughs> well, I think what most people want to hear, and this is based off of, you know, all the threads that you and I are involved in in the industry everybody wants to know who's getting a better price and how they get a better price. And they think to quote a guy on our team here, they think they can save their way to success, right? Save their way to growth right. when they're really looking at it the wrong way. I mean, you can only beat someone up on price for so much um, before you completely commoditize the entire industry. Um, I'm, I'm going to challenge people to do it a different way. So Zappos was really good about this and uh, I won't go too far into their story, but it's in their book um, delivering happiness, which is a, a, a great book written by their CEO um, but instead of, you know, beating up vendors and beating up people and trying to over leverage, like be radically generous because looking back at my career and working with contractors for 10 years or so, like there are some people and we always scratch our head because they're so different, but there are some people who are just so good to work with and it goes all the way down through their employees. I can think of, it's one of our clients now, home heating in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Yeah, yeah. So they were always super loyal, super kind to work with. Everyone in the company down to the shop dog treated you with respect. And when they had to ask for something, you gave it to them. You never hesitated. Anytime they would ask for something, you would open arms, just whatever they would need. And that pays way more dividends than the guy who is calling you every single day, complaining, telling you you run an awful business and wondering why you do this and do that. And and that's really, really tough. So when someone thinks that like, I'm going to get more aggressive with my vendor or my supplier or my manufacturing partner, and I'm going to squeeze a little bit of value, like you're not getting nearly the value as the guy who treats the vendor as a partner and treats them with respect and gives a little, maybe pays, you know, a nickel more for a piece of equipment because he doesn't want to, you know, waste the time in negotiating. And, um, and when he really needs it, you know, the manufacturer, the supplier, the distributor, they'll come through. Yeah, you're not saying be a pushover. You're just saying, like, you know, be a polite and professional and, you know, be kind. Yeah. You know, and it's okay to stand up and fight for what you want. And if it doesn't go the way you want, like, I think a lot of people misunderstand disagreements for fights. Like, because you disagree doesn't mean it's an argument. Yeah. Right? It's okay to have that back and forth, but you can do it and be professional. And if it doesn't work out, you're not an asshole. 
yeah. right? Still <clears throat> be a good dude. But you're saying, you know, in this instance, you know, be kind, <clears throat> be nice, because people would generally, generally do want to be helpful, like sure. I keep saying. So in that situation, it's like, you know, be nice, make it easy to do business with you, you know, and, and kind to be to do, to do business with you. And, yeah. and it's okay to push back and, and fight for things that you want. And sometimes you'll get those things, but sometimes you won't. And it's how you treat those people when they won't. Yeah. And it's not about being naive or a pushover <laughs> or soft. It's about being strategically thoughtful. Boom. Right. I like that. I so, like that. um, because strategically thought because those guys win. Those are the guys that some of the most powerful people in the business, when the doors are closed and different opportunities come up that are not public knowledge or whatever, those are the guys that you're behind the scenes trying to fight for. So, and don't be basic, man. It's like, it's so easy to just be the tough guy and try to, um, you know, have unreasonable expectations. Another thing too, like don't have unreasonable expectations of the people who are serving you, whether it's uh, the guy working the counter or the, you know, the sales manager or the territory manager, like work with what you have, right? Mm -hmm. Work with what you have. Um, you're not entitled to um, a, a guy who can take you to play golf all the time. I had a client complain to me once because um, we had a female territory manager and he was jealous because the, the, the male territory manager in the state over used to take his clients to play golf. And my, my rep down there didn't play golf. Work with what you have. <laughs> Come on, man. Let be adults too. Like and treat people with respect, but right. I will, I will tell you, um, pick up, you know, be generous, pick up lunch one time, just one time for the, you know, for the manufacturer rep or whoever, and watch that pay you back 50x. Yeah, because they're used to always having to be the one like, hey, you it's just an expectation. I go to lunch, you're paying because I'm buying your yeah, stuff. Yeah, you I, I remember the first time someone um, insisted on buying lunch. Like, I was awkwardly shocked. I didn't even know how to like, oh, what's the word? Oh, I say thank Oh, thank you. <laughs> like, yeah, and so then how did that make you feel? Because you're like, you wanted to help that person more. You're like, that's a, that was great. Man, it was Larry's Electric. He was a train dealer in Pueblo, Colorado. He used to drive <laughs> in this big milk truck. And I remember he brought he bought me a... A slopper. You ever heard of a slopper? I have not. So Google slopper. It's this thing in Pueblo, Colorado. It's like this burrito. It's amazing. It's like a burrito and burger. It sounds sounds like it's probably fat free and cholesterol free and all that. Yeah. All right, man. The last question because I know we're getting super duper short on time here. Um, and I know what my answer would be, so I'm anxious to hear what yours is. But if you could go back in this tenure that we just went over, like we just covered quite a bit on things that you've done, if you could go back and change one thing or you could go back and tell 2008 tall paul what you could you could change one thing what would that one thing be go so i'm going to be super transparent here and i'm going to try to do this without crying oh um, boy i know it's tough man i missed my daughter's first birthday for work Ah, oh. yeah so it was 2017 goldie had just turned one not an option here not an option and um, we had a dealer meeting in Orlando. And so um, it was, I don't know, my first or second year in the role. And for whatever reason, like I, and I, I'll, I'll say it was fear. Like I didn't have the guts to just look at my bosses and the VPs and the directors and be like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to miss the first two nights because my daughter's birthday is on the 16th. Um, so we did this like little makeshift, like, you know, let daddy say happy birthday to you. And then they FaceTime me while I was at dinner and I had bad reception and I was missing out. So now I go back and look at the, the videos of her first birthday and I'm not there. And it's one of those things that at the time you can rationalize it. Like at the time it made sense. At the time it was like, Hey man, dad's got to work. I've got, got somewhere to be. I got start. a career. I got to feed make you them fools. Happy. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then you look back and you're like, can't get that back. You can't get that back. Yep. And, um, 
it haunts me to this very day. Like I, 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 I look back at it and look at her and then I, I, then I think about like all the moments that I could potentially miss because I have that same mindset now where I'm like, Oh, well th- this clearly makes sense that I need to do this right now. So, um, I just need to pause and, and evaluate like at the time, if my employer didn't understand that I was going to miss the first night of this meeting and have to take a red eye or do whatever, um, that's another, it's not a fit. Of, yeah. That's another, set of yeah, this is so. where, and listen, and regret sucks and it's totally optional. Yeah. And I, and like regrets probably one of my biggest fears is I hate, I don't want to regret anything. Like I don't want to regret anything because I can't go back. So I try to do as much as I possibly, possibly So can. what did you think my biggest regret was? Probably not working with a rhino sooner. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting, man. I, I bet you wish our paths, because our paths could have crossed earlier on when you were actually still working in Colorado and it didn't. Ironically, we had the same, we had the same cut, a mutual customer, but yeah. Um, Anyway, man, that's great because I do think that you hit on a, a key topic that we didn't talk about and we're not going to on this particular podcast, but balancing your personal and your professional life is, uh, especially here in our culture, is extremely important. Um, I would never want you to miss your daughter's first birthday because I know you would never get that back, and that means far more than what you're doing here. So, listen, man, um, I really appreciate you you uh, uh, being here, you know, in the studio today with us, being our first guest on To The Point to the point. And talking about transparency in the trades. Um, obviously, you'll be on other um, podcasts with other, with other folks in the future, being my co-host. Um, but I couldn't thank you enough, man, for being here, being so transparent, telling us your story, sharing some of the good stuff, the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, I can't thank you enough. I know a lot of our customers and partners love you, and it's because of those traits that you mentioned earlier. So thanks, my man. I appreciate you so much. I'm so happy you're my VP of sales, and you're building my team for us. You're crushing it. So... Appreciate you, everybody else that's listening. I hope that uh, you are able to take away some valuable information and that Mr. Tall Paul gave you some little nuggets to take away. But you got to remember, if you don't do anything with it, ambition without action is what, Paul? It's useless. It's useless. Thank you for listening to To The Point. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a review in the App Store. And don't forget to share with your friends. Till next time, kick some ass.